Good morning to each of you. Uh, my sermon this morning is taken from Numbers 13 and 14. It's the story of Israel in the wilderness. It's the story of the uh, spying out of the land of Canaan by the twelve spies. It's the report, the negative report of the ten spies and the good report of the two spies. Uh, there are several uh, very uh, striking, that's the word I want, striking comments uh, in the Bible uh, concerning the the story. I'm going to read uh, some here, Numbers 13, beginning verse 1, and then I'll skip around a little bit. Numbers 13, 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Then I'm jumping down to verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountain and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, and see whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So that's what they did. They went. And in verse 23, it says that they... um, they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and it took two people to carry this cluster of grapes on a pole. And and that is stated that way, I believe, to uh, as as proof that this was a fruitful land, and and the. Uh, the grapes and the fruit was beyond normal. It was just wonderful how productive it was. So they returned in verse 25, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel, and uh, brought them a report and showed them the fruit. And then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. 
Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites. And the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So, they're giving this report, and they say, oh, the fruit is wonderful, but then there's this problem. And they're presenting the negatives, and so... I'm, I'm trying to describe how this must have sounded. It, it sounded, apparently, it sounded somewhat demoralizing because then verse 30 says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that, and, and this is a striking phrase, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. So, I don't know if you can picture this in your mind, that, that here is a physical land that eats up the people. I don't know. Does that make any sense to you? The land eats the people. That's the word. I'm having a hard time conceptualizing that seeing that in my mind. Uh, so they talk about the giants. And then they say, we were like grasshoppers in our sight. And so were we like grasshoppers in their sight. So get that picture. So we got there and we looked around and everybody was huge. Let's just imagine ten feet tall. And and then we looked at ourselves and we saw that we were really small and we were like grasshoppers and that's how we thought about ourselves. And then we decided, well, that's how they think about us too. They think we're grasshoppers too. So we must be grasshoppers, and they must be huge, giant vultures. Oh, and the land eats up the people, too. So, they get this report, and all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So, the people were so distressed by this report that they couldn't sleep. They were maybe depressed, disrupted, and so they cried all night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, 
Or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Honey, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so, uh, the title I gave this message is Giant Eating Grasshopper. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but giant eating grasshoppers. It's kind of a play on words. I don't often, uh, if I might smile a little, I don't often get that creative about the title of this sermon. Giant eating grasshoppers. Does that mean that giants are eating grasshoppers, or does it mean that Grasshoppers are eating giants. Which way is that? So in this account, the ten spies thought the giants in Canaan would eat them because of grasshoppers, and the two spies thought the grasshoppers could eat the giants, and they would be a meal. We will feast on these giants. So there's a lesson here. Uh, the lesson has to do with our outlook, our frame of mind, and and whether or not we have faith in God. Maybe more than whether or not we have faith in ourselves. So in this account. The Lord commanded uh, commanded that they go spy out the land. That wasn't wrong. But uh, the Lord had promised to, to give them the land, and this was a sure thing. This is what he intended to do. And this is like God... Now, I want you to think about this because it really does relate to our lives. How would you like uh, a gift like this? How would you like for God to tell you that He's giving you something? And of course, most of us uh, have to work for land we get or anything else. But we do have some gifts and we do have opportunities. Uh, how would you like a gift 
like this, a gift of land or a gift of an opportunity, or a gift to be part of the kingdom of God in some way, a gift of responsibility or a gift of work to do, a gift of a place of service. How would you like to be offered a gift? Now, there's a little side issue here, which I'm going to mention. I'm not going to solve it, but there's a little bit of a problem and a challenge in this, in that we also have to have some discernment about whether or not this is a gift or an opportunity from God, or is it just something that comes along that we should... uh, Should not engage in, we shouldn't do. It's just an opportunity. It's not really the thing we should do. How do you know? How do you decide? How do you know that the situation you face is indeed the opportunity God had in mind for you? And it's not just something that you uh, had indigestion and decided at some point during the night when you couldn't sleep that, oh, I'm going to do this. How do you discern between these things? And I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. It, I, it, that's a big discussion about how do you discern the will of God. Um, but we do know in this case that God had promised them the land, and it was a gift God was giving to them. We know that. And I'll, I'll come back later to this question of opportunities. Now, we hardly ever receive an opportunity or, yes, opportunity. We hardly ever receive, have an opportunity without equal responsibility. These, I think, go together. They go together in the Bible. They go together in our lives. Well, when you receive a special gift, you, you have to count the cost, and you have to consider the responsibility that goes with it, and you have to evaluate the risk, and consider your resources, and think about how does God want me to engage in this responsibility. And I think that's what they were doing. It's what Moses had in mind, I think. So he sent them out, and he gave them some questions to answer. Uh, Is the land fertile? Is it productive? Um, The answer was yes. Yes, it is. Yes, really, a whole lot. It's very productive. They bring back this cluster of grapes. It's very large and very heavy, and they need a pole to keep two men to carry. And uh, so now here's the opportunity. They have this opportunity. Um, The opportunity that God had promised to Abraham, actually. And all they had to do was enter in, but they 
could not enter in because because of their outlook. Now, their outlook is the way that they thought about it. Our, our outlook is the way we think or feel about the options we have or the opportunities we have in front of us. And our outlook would be the, the attitude of frame of, or frame of mind which is, with which we evaluate the opportunity. Whether we pray about the opportunity, whether we look at the opportunities with eyes of faith, whether we view God as able to accomplish something in us or through us that we can't accomplish on our own, whether we uh, focus on our limitations, or focus on the opposition around us, or whether we focus on God. This is outlook. This is frame of mind. The way we think about things. The things we believe. Outlook. So, the Israel, the ten spies, their outlook was we're too small, the enemy's too big, it doesn't matter what God promised, we can't do it. And of course, uh, maybe, maybe you're like I am when you read the stories in the Bible, it's easy to be critical, like, like this morning's Sunday school lesson. It's easy to be critical of the uh, scribes and Pharisees and their view of the publicans, these tax collectors, and, uh, and then it had that little that section that talked about Jesus made the comment that uh, people who think they're righteous, I can't help them. And then, you, you know, we realize that maybe we're one of those that think we're good and don't need much help. So here's, here's Israel. And their frame of mind, their outlook, so before we become too critical. Uh, we have opportunities too. Might include a change of job. I hate changes of job. I do. I've had some of them, but I don't like them. Or I should say quickly, though, I have a good job right now. <laughs> I should just say that. We don't like change. Moving, moves, uh, going to a mission project, the opportunity of doing something like uh, Ricky John did this summer. I don't know how many of you would be willing to do what he did. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would want to. Opportunities. The opportunity of, let's say, of uh, doing what Zacchaeus did of making a grand confession about your life and and deciding to make a grand change. Repentance. So that's an opportunity. That's the kind of opportunity we can face. Uh, any any anything in our life that that there's a call for something different. This is an opportunity. So the ten spies decided we can't do it because uh, 
their outlook was too small and the enemy was too large. And so here's how that kind of outlook works. This is how it works. If you believe you can't do something, you can't do it. I'm sorry to be so negative, but if you believe you are worthless, you're worthless. That's how it works. If you believe you're ugly, then you're ugly. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm saying, if that's what you believe, it doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't change. If you believe no one likes you, then no one likes you. That's how it's the frame of reference, that's how you interpret everything. If you believe you're too heavy, then you're too heavy, and it does not matter how skinny you are. I'm open to rebuke after the sermon. If you believe God is against you, then He's against you. This outlook you have determines what you can and can't do. And it determines the direction of people's lives and how they live their lives. It does not matter what the facts are. If you believe something's true, then it's true for you. And that's how it feels for you. And this is how our outlook controls our life. If it's not the same outlook that God has of us, it's inactive. And this is how the spies work, these ten spies. So we think things about ourselves, and then we think God thinks this about us, and then we think others think this about us, and then we kind of get our stuff stuck. I feel a great need to say I'm really sorry for being so negative. But now here's the reality, too, that the opposite works as well. It really does. If you believe God has asked you to do something, and if you believe He's present and working in your heart, if you believe He's bigger than you are, and if you have faith in God, then you can do whatever He asks you to do, and it's okay. And I think there are many of us in this room who are like that. Just sometimes we get stuck in this other frame of mind. Well, they had opposition. There was some opposition where they were going, and they viewed their opposition as big and strong in comparison to themselves, and they viewed, they viewed themselves as little and weak. And now, here's what's true about that. From my perspective, there will there will always be opposition. Always. There will always be someone who says it is not the time to do this, and this is not the thing that should be done. Those of us who have been in leadership, who have had responsibilities, we know this is true. Even when something is commanded in Scripture, someone will say that it is not God's will. I'm not trying to be negative, I'm just saying, this, this is life. If the opposition doesn't come from the devil, from the devil, it will come from people. 
And sometimes the opposition, I think, it comes from ourselves. It comes from inside of us somewhere. Our doubts. Doubts about God. Doubts about ourselves. Doubts about what we're called to do. We feel unsure. We can get scared. Just get afraid. And sometimes the opposition that we face is more us than anything else. It's like you look in the mirror and the enemy is me. So the opposition might be fear, paralyzing fear. We're going to fail. We're all going to die. They are going to eat us alive. That's the tense lies. The opposition, our opposition might be our sin. Might be some sin, besetting sin. And obviously, for the ten spies, the sin was unbelief. They could not believe God. The opposition might be lack of courage. And another way to say this is lack of guts. And I remember one time, many years ago, dear brother Leon, he may not remember this, but I do, I think he said there might be a lack of guts. And then he said that it was intestinal fortitude. A lack of intestinal fortitude. Do you remember that? Yeah, I did. You did say that. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, lack of intestinal fortitude. The, the opposition might be rebellion against authority, and that's what was present here. Uh, because in this story, Israel rebelled against Moses and Aaron and God, and God um, told them after they um, rebelled, if they didn't want to go in, refused to go in, uh, then they decided that they would uh, go and fight anyway and go by themselves. God said, I'm not going with you. Moses said, I'm not going with you. And they went anyway, and they were overthrown. Now, here's what, here's what Joshua said in chapter 14, 8, and 9. If the Lord delight in us, He will bring us in. Don't rebel against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They are food for our consumption. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So, God, God is big. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's not weak, and He's not small. So, their biggest failure was their failure to see God. They saw the giant truth. They saw the giant people, the giant walled cities, and they saw their giant fears, but they did not see the giant God. And so they said we were in our own eyes, in our own sight, as grasshoppers, and then that's what we were in the sight of the people. They thought we were grasshoppers too. 
So when Joshua said in, in Numbers 14.9, they are bred for us, their defense is departed. The word defense there means literally shattered. Their shadow has departed. That's like saying um, they, they don't, the enemy of those giants don't even have a shadow. They, they are like hot air. We can make a meal of them. I'm not sure how Joshua thought they would eat the shadow, but they're just a shadow. There's, there's no substance to them. They're nothing, nothing in the sight of God. We can win. So here's, here is what is true, I think, that God can equip grasshoppers to eat giants. God can equip grasshoppers to eat giants. But it is a God thing if God equips grasshoppers to eat giants. That's a God thing, and it's not a human thing. It's a faith thing, a courage thing, a trusting God thing. Now, I want to make a little bit of a disclaimer before I finish here. When I say that grasshoppers can eat giants, I don't mean that we need to think ourselves into forgetting who the giants are, or that we need to ignore the challenges in our life when we make decisions. Uh, I don't mean that anything that you think is God's will is God's will and you can do it. I don't mean that. You know, some people, I think, kind of have the idea that whatever they think about doing, it is God's will, and if anybody raises a question about it, then they're a heretic or against me. And that's not very healthy and not very helpful. But if God is for the grasshopper, then the grasshopper can eat the giant. This is like the David and Goliath story. So I'd like for us to think about ourselves. Uh, We face giants. I'm going to name a few. We face the giants of evil, sometimes in us, in ourselves. That's a giant. Now, I could ask, how many of you have something in your life that you really aren't very happy with and you would like it to change. But it hasn't changed yet. Well, that's a giant. So, the giant of evil in us, ourselves, and there's a giant of evil around us, in the world, among Christians, this is a giant. And honestly, sometimes I feel somewhat distraught about evil among Christians. It's bad enough when it's in the world, but the giant of evil. Uh, we face, among us, we face the giant of needing additional leadership. 
And I say this kindly, we face the giant of an elderly bishop who's trying to slow down. Okay? I'm just trying to be honest here. We face the giant of having two meeting places that some of our people can't meet in. We face the giant of a number of our people leaving. And then we needed to, and still need to, decide what attitude to have toward them. We face the giant of needing to learn how to walk with one another and how to talk to each other. How to make decisions together. How to support each other. How to help each other be better followers of Jesus. These are giants. These are challenges. Every week, every week, every day, we face the giant of physical, emotional, and spiritual illness of some kind. Sometimes in ourselves, sometimes someone else. We face the giant of decisions, collectively and individually. We face the giant of our fears. And forgive me, but we face the giants of our fears when we think about these giants. So, I want to say this morning, I believe this, that we might be grasshoppers, but our giants can be our meals. That's what this passage teaches. Our giants can be our meal even though we are grasshoppers. But our giants can be our meal only if we can see God and our fellow brothers and sisters as being on our side, with us, and for us, and not against us. God wants to work in our hearts to grow our faith in Him in our trust in each other. Now, some of us have personal giants uh, that we are trying to swallow. And uh, we are choking on them. If I could use that picture. And I think what we need to hear is that if we feel like we are choking on our giants, we need to hear that Jesus is present with us and cares about that and can accomplish something for us in it. God wants to work in our hearts and in our lives so that our giants can be food for us and not eat us up alive. So grasshoppers can't eat giants by having faith in faith. Grasshoppers can eat giants only by having faith in God. 
and by giving God permission to work and accomplish a miracle. A miracle in each of our hearts. Because He's the one who can defeat the giant. And He's the one that can uh, change us when we trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, there are uh, really unique stories in Your Word of Your work among people, Your intentions, and even how people fail to follow You. I pray that You would speak to each of us the lesson that You have for us this morning. In this story of giants in the land, and uh, how the ten spies looked at them, and how the two spies looked at them, and how you looked at the situation. I pray that you would speak to each of us and work in our hearts and grow in us the faith in you that you desire. Show us how to trust you and how to follow you and how to enter into life into the opportunities you give us in the way that pleases you. Work in each of our hearts to accomplish your purposes and thank you. Amen.